0: Wow! Thank you. Beautiful. Uh, it was so much fun to hear from uh, the Laydens, and to hear as well from the Colwells, and Rich, and uh, Steph uh, and uh, Suzanne and Ron. What what a great great time of singing together! Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, we. Uh, watched last night as the uh, Supreme Court of Kansas decided that we needed to stay in groups of 10. And it reminded me of just how perfect uh, the uh, scriptures are in the way they say things. Uh, We have uh, four gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those four gospel records, We have the story of the resurrection in the last chapter of each one. Uh, Luke, if you remember, was not actually part of the original 12. Luke actually was a uh, physician that uh, aided in Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, Paul had some physical uh, limitations that uh, made it necessary for him to have a traveling physician along with him. And Luke was up to that task. And uh, then, during a period of time, Paul was imprisoned uh, at the uh, coastal city of Caesarea that was just a number of miles from Jerusalem. And uh, Luke was there with Paul, and so he would have time then being an historian himself and being a man of great uh, education, Perhaps one of the most highly educated New Testament writers that we have between him or Paul. But he went and researched and found and put together the gospel record of Luke under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Yes, be assured of that. And so you have these interviews that Luke has with a variety of people, uh, probably an interview with Mary that is reflected in the uh, Christmas story that is the most familiar one found in Luke chapter 2. But then uh, Luke's uh, resurrection story is rather interesting. He has the story of the road to Emmaus. He has the story of the ladies in the garden uh, with the tomb. He has the story uh, of the disciples meeting upstairs. And And he puts these all together even with the ascension. In chapter 24 of Luke, to where it almost sounds as though all that things happened in the same day, but we know they didn't from the other records. But Luke just puts them all together in into story form in such a way that that all those events are recorded together in a in a in a wonderful chapter that just piles on proof after proof after proof of the resurrection. And in Luke uh, chapter uh, 24, verses 36 to 49 we have this story that starts with a statement, and the 11 were in the upper room. But that's not really true. It it wasn't the 11 in that sense. The 11 became somewhat of a title for the disciples, uh, and that the, the disciples were known as the 11. But we know that at this particular meeting, there were not actually 11 there, because from John's gospel, we find out that on that first encounter, There was one of the disciples missing, and we just call him Doubting Thomas because of the story that is recorded in John's gospel at the very end, chapter 20. So Thomas is not there, but the 11 are referred to as a group. So if you take 11 and you subtract one, you've got the magic number 10, and they're in quarantine together in the upper room. Now they're in quarantine together not because of a pandemic. They're in quarantine together because of a general fear of the government. That was dominating Jerusalem at that time of the leadership, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their ability to uh, at that time uh, exercise and, and do something that they had never been able to do before. They were actually able to get the Roman government to condemn a man to death, Jesus and so now they're thinking perhaps they'll do that with all of us. And so they're gathered into the upper room and they're being controlled by rumors and stories. Because they're in the upper room, they, they have people that are coming and knocking at the door and saying, you won't believe what happened, so-and-so said this. And then someone else coming up, you won't believe what happened. And so they're up there discussing the fact that there are a number of reports that the resurrected Christ has made appearances And in uh, Luke 24, after they're discussing this, suddenly there in their midst is the resurrected Christ. Now, we don't know for sure how that happened. But can you imagine something like a, the huddle of a football team in a circle? Did you know what happened? Did you know? Did you know? No. And they're all huddled around, and they're talking, and one's talking over the other, and the other one's talking over this. And they're going, and, and Jesus just kind of comes through and appears, and he's on the outside of the huddle, and he goes, Really? <laughs> and then they turn, oh, it's you. And the story just unfolds there with just a beautiful charm that, that is just absolutely delightful to look at. Because as we look at it, we realize uh, how absolutely true that story must be in the way it happens. Because uh, they're there with him, and it, it says they had fear. And one of the first things he did, is he, tried to, he tried to calm their fears. But then it also says they had joy. Now, you don't think of joy and fear being together. But, but those two things are actually blended in that magical moment where they, they realize the, the resurrected Christ. I can't help but think of a couple of other scenes. There's one down the road where, where uh, only a few years from now, Peter is going to be in jail. And, uh, and there in jail, uh, one of the disciples have already been executed by Herod. And so there's a a group of people praying together at a home, praying for Peter, because he's now in prison. Now, I don't think they're praying for Peter's release. I think they're praying that Peter won't deny the Lord. He denied the Lord before. May he not deny the Lord. And so they're meeting in this prayer meeting. Meanwhile, down at the city jail, Peter is sleeping in an angel kicks him in the side and awakes him, you know, did you have to do it that hard, and he looks up, and the angel says, get up, and Peter gets up, and his chains come off, and, and, and then, and then the angel says, come, and they open the gate, and they, they go outside, and, and suddenly they're out in the street, and then the angel disappears, and the, the text tells us it's at that moment that Peter realizes this isn't a vision, it's really happening. Now, can you imagine? He, Peter's first thought is, 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 oh, God is rescuing me to heaven. And so he's going through all this thinking. He's going, and then he's out in the outer streets, and he realizes, whoa, I'm, I'm actually free. And so he thinks, where should I go? And so he begins to think off the possible places. And he, and he thinks of one of his relatives. And he thinks, I'll go by there. And he knocks on the door. And, and, uh, and, and they're praying. They're in earnest prayer. They're in deep prayer. They're in serious prayer. Who's knocking at the door? It doesn't matter. We're having a prayer meeting. And so they send, the, they send Rhoda to the front door uh, because she's the least, uh, least likely person to pray, I guess. And so she goes to the front door, and, and it's Peter. And he says, can I come in? And, and Rhoda is so shocked that she goes back into the crowd and leaves Peter out on the front stoop. recognizing peter's voice in her joy see the word in her joy she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that peter was standing there and they didn't believe her <laughs> what a great story what an absolutely fantastic story here's jesus and he's there and and, and go, really what happened next and oh for joy and for fear uh, also, in the Old Testament, there's a story where this word's used that same way. It's it's Genesis chapter 45. And, and, and Judah has made an appeal to Joseph, not knowing it was Joseph. And, and he makes this appeal to Joseph. And, and in this appeal to Joseph, Joseph reveals, I'm your brother. Is my father really still alive? <laughs> And they assure him that he is. And they're in this shock wonderment of, of Joseph and, and, and such. And, and, and then he says, now, when you go home, don't, don't argue on the way. <laughs> don't argue on the way. Because even though they knew that Joseph was alive, and even though they knew there was provision there in Egypt, there was all these emotions going through themselves. And, and so they get back, and they tell the story to their father, Jacob. And they say, Joseph's alive. He's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And it says of Jacob, his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Can you imagine the sheer uh, shock of that moment? Although these are great stories, none of them compares to the complete, total shock that the disciples have at this moment, knowing he's alive. He has conquered the grave. These 11 who were so fearful prior to this moment. I know Thomas isn't there, but he'll be there in a week. Their lives during this period of time are are transformed in such a way. And I, I want to be very clear. I'm certain all the disciples were already believers. They were already saved by the grace of Christ. But the conviction of their inner being toward this powerful truth of the gospel... Is, is just hardens them, not in a bad way, but, but, but sets them on a course that will change their every movement from here forward. He's alive. He is alive. And in this uh, few brief moments that Christ has, he, he's going to give them three great proofs of the resurrection. And I think these proofs of the resurrection are, are powerful and strong because of the words that, that John would give several years later in opening his epistle. In 1 John, John writes, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. The wording that John uses here is the exact same wording that Jesus is going to use in the Luke 24 passage. John says, That which we have looked upon, that which we have touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life, this of the resurrection is not just that Christ is God's Son. This of the resurrection is not just that Christ, as God's Son, has stated His clear love for you. This of the resurrection is not just that Christ is God's Son and that He has stated His clear love for you. This of the resurrection is that Christ, God's own Son, who has stated His love for you, has made a way possible for you to be right with God by dying for your sins. He is the word of life. He sets men free. He is the word of life. He provides an eternal destiny for us that is unparalleled. That is unparalleled. And it's because of the proof and the power of the resurrection, it's interesting to note that there's three specific uh, proofs that Jesus gives, and and all three of them are highlighted by his very words. The first thing Jesus says to the disciples here is they, they look at him in shock of who he is. He says, uh, "See my hands and my feet." It's found in uh, Luke 24, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up because I, I want you to see every every part of this statement that is so. Powerful to the disciples at this point. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands. And my feet. Now, he could have said, Behold my face. Don't you recognize me? But he doesn't. He, he points out the very places where he was wounded for our transgressions, where he was bruised for our iniquities. This isn't lost at all on Thomas's mind, because Thomas says, unless I thrust my hand into his side, unless I look at the very marks of his feet. Jesus is pointing out not just that he is who he is, but he has done what he has done. He has died for our sins. Look at my hands. Someone has said there's only two man-made things that will be in heaven. The wounds and the hands and the feet of our Lord. Throughout all eternity, we will be able to gaze upon the proof that he died in our place on that cross. Jesus said, look at my hands. And my feet. Handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. You know, so often the picture of heaven is something like, you know, we're gonna be like angels. In fact, I'll, I'll often hear someone say, you know, that God has added another angel into heaven. We will not be angels in heaven. We will be men. We will be women purchased by the blood of Christ. We'll never be an angelic being. We will always be humans bought by the blood of a Savior who died in our place. Friends, this is not a truth to give up on. This is a truth to anchor your soul to. You have been purchased by God in human flesh, Jesus Christ. See my hands, see my feet, touch me. Then uh, they, they, they look at him and they, they stand in amazement and then he, and then he says a second thing. He says, do you got anything here to eat? <laughs> now, I love that, you know. I don't know about you, but uh, we, we've kind of gone through the cupboards in our house, you know. And, and so we're trying to figure out, you know, uh, how, how much uh, of this stuff that we've had around here can we And Jesus asked for something to eat. He wasn't hungry. I want to emphasize that I don't think he was hungry because I don't think our supernatural bodies that we will live in throughout all eternity will hunger. But he, but he wanted to eat. In other words, this, this that, uh, this that he asked for was was to be a demonstration, but it was also to be a fellowship. He wanted to eat with them. I put a picture up on Facebook this last week of just a delightful meal I had last Christmas time uh, with a. Tara and Richard, and we went out and we ate. And I can't remember what I ordered, but I know this. I know who I was with. I enjoyed the fellowship of that night. And then after it was over, we went down and we got coffee and wandered around the plaza drinking Starbucks and just enjoyed ourselves. We were in fellowship. How, don't you enjoy eating with people? Don't you enjoy being with people? Don't you enjoy the fellowship and the harmony with them? And, and Jesus says, can we eat something together? they gave him fish, and they ate it together. It's interesting to note that uh, during his resurrected appearances, Jesus ate on a number of occasions. On the road to Emmaus, he, he made as though he was going to go on past, and they told him, no, come and eat with us. And so he went in, and he sat down at the table with them, and then when he offered up grace for the meal, they realized who he was. And then... Uh, uh, not, not too many days later, uh, he, uh, he calls out to some men out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He says, "'Have you caught anything?' And, uh, and they're out there fishing, and, and, and he, uh, he, he says, uh, nets to the other side. And John says, you know well, you know, uh, deja vu, it must be the Lord. And, and Peter jumps into the water and swims to the shore, and we see that there's a fire there, and Jesus has prepared a fire, and there's fish on it for them to eat. And with fish on it for them to eat, he, he asks, do you have some? And so he brings some, and he shares together with them. And over a meal, he asks Peter, Do you love me? Have you anything here to eat? Jesus didn't just pay the debt of your sin. Jesus wants to have harmony. He wants to have communion. He wants to have fellowship. He wants to be in in relationship with you for all eternity. It's going to be the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's the language that's used. We're going to rub elbows and, and 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 sit together and enjoy fellowship, communion. There'll be food in heaven. We won't have to eat to sustain our bodies, but we'll love to eat with our family and enjoy relationship forever have you anything here to eat the proof of the resurrection is that the resurrected lord wants to be in fellowship with his family forever and then uh, finally he turns uh, their attention and he says to them these are my words he says to them and then after saying, these are my words, then he says, and everything that has been written, uh, the law and the prophets and all of these things, uh, all these things were written and, and all of them were put together for, for a purpose. And, and it, it says, what is the purpose? To, to show everything that would be fulfilled. His ultimate proof of the resurrection is this. The resurrection had to be because God had said it was to be. (laughs) That's the ultimate proof of the resurrection. The resurrection had to be because God said it had to be. God said, this is what I'm going to do and so he had to do it because if he didn't do what he said he was going to do, he wasn't able. He wasn't truthful. And so, that book that we hold in our hands called the Bible, demanded it. And so of course he did it. Of course he did it because we have a God that doesn't break promises. We have a God who keeps his word. We have a God who has declared openly his love for the world. We have a God who has made it known his plan we have a God who has provided through his very own son to make this plan come to fruition. If God be for us, who can be against us? He spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he also with him freely give us all things? And so Jesus says, uh, did you hear what I said? Did you hear what they said? It all comes together and a perfect pronouncement of the plan of God for us. Of course, I'm resurrected. Now from there, uh, Jesus uh, begins at the very end of this chapter in verses 45 through 49 to to open their minds to understand the scriptures. And, And so he said to them, thus it was written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and uh, rise from the dead. And so he began to just open up the scriptures and just uh, explain the scriptures to them. Uh, To me, uh, if you want to know why uh, I believe so much in Bible churches... It's because uh, this is what Jesus did when he got the disciples alone. He began to to open to them the scriptures. Now this isn't to, to be lost on our minds because uh, in the road to Emmaus story, uh, Jesus uh, reveals himself to these two disciples, uh, and he reveals himself to these two disciples after discussing with them along the road all the way there. He's discussed with them the scripture, and then they beg him to come into their home to eat that night. And there, finally, while breaking bread, he reveals who he is. And then he's gone. And these two disciples get up and they they run back to Jerusalem. And on their running back to Jerusalem, the one says to the other, did not our hearts burn within us? While he opened unto us the scriptures. It's interesting. These two disciples are the most profoundly influenced not by seeing the resurrected Christ, but by understanding how it paralleled with God's word and the fulfillment of scripture. And you have the Bible. You have God's word. Thus, it was written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then he goes on to say, Jesus says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now, a lot of people look at this verse and say, well, so then we're saved by repentance and I think uh, repentance is a wonderful biblical doctrine that we should clearly understand. And the word repentance simply means a change of mind, and, uh, or a, a change of heart, or a change of understanding. And so uh, what is it that he's talking about here? The very people that nailed him to the tree, the very people that said, Crucify him, crucify him. The very people that would demand his blood. Now he was going to offer himself too as a free gift of salvation. And they were going to have to change their mind about who he was. Would they? <laughs> Stay tuned to Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. You better believe they did. Thousands came to know Christ. And the world has been transformed by the belief of those people, the very ones that crucified him, that later would come to faith in him. Repentance and forgiveness of sins came to them. And they are the very ones who proclaimed his name. I'll give you just one example. The Apostle Paul, they laid the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen down at his feet. And Paul supervised the execution of Stephen... And later on the road to Damascus, a voice came to Paul, 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 Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And there on the road to Damascus, Paul had a repentance of heart, didn't he? But he was saved by his belief in Christ. Once he came to know who the Lord was. What does he say there on the ground, he says, but Who art thou, Lord? And beginning from Jerusalem to Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth, these men in that upper room become witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you The promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, remember how we started out here? We started out with the quarantined ones. And uh, they have the ten in the upper room, and they're the quarantined, and they're, they're the ten. They're up there, and they're quarantined. Why were they there? You remember the story, don't you? They were there because of fear. So they're quarantined out of fear and they're they're in this room. What's going to happen to us next and out of fear? But now Jesus quarantines them for some other reason. Not for fear, but for faith. Now they're to wait until the Spirit of God is poured out upon them. Because no matter how much you might want to be a witness, no matter how much you might desire to tell others, you need the Holy Spirit's power upon your life to be a witness for the Lord. Let me make you a a promise. You've already got it. You already have it. The Spirit of God is yours. Upon faith in Christ. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit into God's family at the moment you put your faith and trust in Him. So you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to uh, empower your witness for Him in this world today. Friend, the resurrection has been openly demonstrated to you in God's word through these proofs that we've looked at today so that you might be a witness for him. In our world today, there are people panicked about so many different things. We can think of the obvious ones, but everyone has fears. But God has given you the message of hope in Christ we, his followers, we, his followers, are here today to speak to our world the message of hope in Christ by the power of the redemption that Jesus paid for on that cross, but that he proved by the resurrection so that we might live as a witness for him. You, are witnesses of these things. The Spirit of God and the promise of the Father, the Spirit of God has been poured out upon you. Go. Clothed in His power to be a witness for Him. Christ the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, by the power of the resurrection, may we be the ample, full witness into this world that you have caused us to be. With the full knowledge that we are able to speak for you because Christ indeed is risen, just like he said. Amen and amen.